You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One, two, three, four. Hello and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna, typically alongside the Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, but he's at a Jimmy Buffett concert tonight, but we've got a special guest to fill in for him, and that is NFL media draft analyst Lance Zerline. Lance, I'm sorry about that. You can find his work at NFL.com, also NFL Network as well. Lance, I got to admit, I, I went to the Wikipedia page and I found out you're a Tulane grad, which makes me excited because I grew up a couple blocks from Tulane. I didn't know that, man. Where, where? Well, they got it wrong. I, I started at Tulane and then finished at Houston, but yeah, I spent the first couple years of. Uh, of college at Tulane and uh, um, had a good time, had a good time, but I got kind of homesick and, and made it back to Texas. My dad was actually a football coach there. And so he and my mom said, guess what? You're going to Tulane, whether you like it or not, because we got free tuition. So that's how that worked out. And had I, had I been more mature at the time and, you know, kind of saw the big picture, I, I think I would have stuck it out of Tulane because that was a, uh, you know, a great opportunity, but I had a lot of fun and, and really um, made some, lasting memories that had an impact on on my career really in the in the uh in the long term so it was uh it was a good memories that were built there small world conference usa at the time right no it would have been the metro conference wow back in the Memphis and virginia tech days del curry uh socks uh oh god what was his name from memphis uh, elliot perry that was a freshman then and so yeah, it was uh, it was a little while back, but it was the Metro Conference, and Tulane had just gotten their basketball team back uh, from a point shaving scandal, and so um, you know I was friends with and, and actually played basketball in the summer. They had nine players, so I was the tenth playing with the basketball team when they when they got back. I would I would get into uh, games as their tenth, and so I was I was big into basketball actually. You know, my dad was a football coach there, and I did some stat keeping stuff for the SID office for a, a few games but um i was really a basketball guy at that time well that's interesting because i do want to I, I do want to talk a little bit about basketball and how it kind of factors into the evaluation process we can get to that a little bit later lance and i know your time is v- valuable but you came out with your first mock draft mm-hmm. mock draft 1.0 about a week ago right last tuesday on on nfl.com and, and for us you know like I like to think about the correlation between the rankings process, what we do with the recruiting services and what you guys do with the NFL draft in terms mm-hmm. of the, the evaluation process as well. I, I just want to know personally, what is this time of year like for you? You got the senior bowl, you got the NFL combine coming up as well, not to mention the Super Bowl that just passed. And you got other postseason events like the Shrine Bowl as well from an evaluation standpoint, getting mm-hmm. ready for the NFL draft. 
what does that look like on an individual basis for Lanzer Line right now? Yeah, so I host a, I've been a radio host for 25 years here in Houston since I was pretty young. And so um, I host a radio show from 7 to 10 a.m. every morning. And so after that, I've got an office up at the radio station and, you know, they know the deal. I, I've got a big, a big television that I use as a computer monitor. And then from, you know, I take about an hour off from 10 to 11, just kind of decompress. And then I get started and, uh, and I just sit and, and watch tape. I mean, I've got coaches tape from that I get from the NFL. Um, I, it's tied to a pro football focus system called ultimate where, you know, I can go watch it's really made it much more efficient, right? I can go see all the drops that a wide receiver has. I can go see all the touchdowns on the clips. So the clips are the, some of the pertinent things are tied directly to the tape, you know, the statistics. I can click a stat and it, and it pulls the tape up immediately, the cut up. So it's made my job more efficient. And then, you know, I've got to write up in the neighborhood of 500 players. So the first, the first thing I do is focus on uh, senior bowl, type of players because if they get invited to the senior bowl they're going to be at the combine so ultimately i'll tell you how it works cooper it works backwards so i've got to have every player written that gets drafted right so it's going to be i'll write anywhere between 480 and 500 total players and so i will have to have all of the combine players written for sure well then working your way back from that i have to have all of the senior bowl players written for sure now the senior bowl players I, I this is the first time that I remember seeing a senior bowl invite in uh, Carl Brooks from uh, Bowling Green not get invited to the combine. I had, I had not seen that before. And this guy is like highly productive as well. But anyway, um, and, you know, as far as East West goes, those guys don't typically hit my radar until after I've written up all the senior bowl players when I'm writing up the players that I have to have for combine. Um you know, I, they may have played at East West. So I'll go back and look at East West practice tape uh, on some of those players. And of course their game tape as well. And so that's really how it works. I mean, I've got to have the combine guys written. And then after that, I've got to have every player written who's drafted. So if they get drafted and I haven't written them up, I got to do it after the draft. So it goes like this combine has to, all the players have to do, be done. The senior bowl players have to be done, which leads me into my combine write-ups. I need to have all of the first and second round, uh, well, anybody that could show up on Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 or in a mock draft, I have to have those guys uh, written up, you know, before I get to the combine. So right now I'm at 305 players total. And uh, by the time I think I've got another, I got another 32 to write up, I guess, for the combine. So, you know, I'll be at, I'll be at close to 340 players by the time of the combine. And then after that, um, so I don't go to the East West shrine. I used to, they used to send me there when it was in Tampa, but I don't go there anymore. Um, I don't go to the Super Bowl, but obviously it's a really big deal in sports radio, which, which I'm in and, uh, and I'm just a football fan in general. And then the combine is just, uh, you know, the, I fold in the senior ball. I go, I, I make some alterations to my scouting reports, some, some to my grades, because as you know, from your background, you can watch guys on tape all you want, but it doesn't. You know, when you get there and you see them on the hoof and you see them, what they look like physically in the pads, what they look like compared to other guys, the juice that they have uh, in practice, that matters. And so, you know, I, I can write them up off tape all I want, but being able to be there on the ground of the combine where quarterbacks are throwing and you can hear it come out. I mean, it it, it can make a big difference. Like with Justin Herbert, um, made a big difference. Carson Wentz, the way he threw the ball and the way it came out. So, 
Um, that's, you know, the combine, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be doing post combine broadcasts, but also obviously those testing numbers are important to me for certain positions and certain players. And so this whole thing is just a fluid process. I mean, I'm glad you asked me the question, but it's, it's hard to answer concisely because it's just a really fluid process. And then once I get past combine, I'm looking at pro day testers, whoever the best testers are at pro day, I got to write them up because height, weight, speed, length, explosiveness, those guys tend to be late draft picks a lot of times. I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, that, that was a, a fully packaged answer. And what's important for us is, you know, the, the, the way that we rank players at this level is all off the basis of NFL projection, not their success level on Sundays, but potentially where they might get drafted. And as you can imagine, it's far from a science, right? And, and it's not a math equation either. It, it's more of this fluid process like you talked about, and it's more of an art. And for us, you know, I think a lot of people get a little bit confused because a lot of the movement that you see in our rankings really happens after these guys sign. And people say, hey, the Hayes in the barn, you got to see these guys for, for three years, right? And from the age of 16 to 18, a lot can change, especially physically. And then from a technique standpoint, but for us, what's so important is getting to see these guys in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl, getting to see them at Orlando at the Under Armour Bowl, and a whole week of practice getting to see elite on elite, which is very much like what you see at the Senior Bowl. And my next question was what you really already answered, but you know, I, I'm looking at your first mock, and I know things are going to change, and I know you kind of uh, mm. gave some pretext to that mock draft saying, hey, this is really not so much about the team and the fit, just kind of where I see the players, but Guys like Luke Musgrave, right, Osiris Torrance, John Michael Schmitz, who really kind of cemented their draft stock, I wanted to ask, I mean, how big can an event like the Senior Bowl be for some of those guys who really kind of work themselves out of the day two conversation into round one? Oh, man, it's huge because, you know, what happens is that <clears throat> it starts a momentum for you, a draft momentum. And, of course, there's two different, you know, there's, there's two different pathways. We live in the media-driven, social media-driven, uh, pathway of the draft, right? And that's not always reality. So that's why people always say, how did this guy's stock go so far up when, you know, he hasn't even played it down? Or how did this guy's stock fall so far? They're stock based on whose opinion? I mean, based on somebody in the media's opinion, that doesn't mean that that's what the teams think. So I think that, you know, there's, there's two parallel paths um, that run during the draft. There is the path of evaluators who the stock can go up or down after the tape has been watched based on, okay, now the general manager is going to really start watching. Now the pro personnel directors is watching in his opinion. Now the coaches are going to watch for teams and they may change the slotting. And now you've got to go have interviews and medicals, which can also really alter the way you perceive a player. If, they're, if their interviews are really good, you may be willing to forgive you know, one or two little areas of concern if they're really bad um, and, you know, you really don't like the kid when you interview him, it'll have a big impact on how you see a player. And if, if he has enough bad interviews, if a guy's a bad interview and just kind of a, a turd in the interviews, oh, that can help him fall. Like uh, across the board, teams will drop a guy based on things like that. And of course, medicals, that's the same thing. Medicals can cause a guy to go up or go down. But a lot of times in the media, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk with fans about how guys' stock is, is going up or down. Well, it's going up or down based on media 
groupthink. You know, the, the consensus is going up or the consensus is going down. Daniel Jeremiah and I talked about this, and I've talked about it with, with uh, Dane Brugler as well uh, from The Athletic. And it's funny because we come in a little bit later than some of the other voices that are out there. And so I'll watch tape and I'll, I'll get to some of these players who I've seen ranked real like Brian Breesey is an example. Uh, you know, he, people have had him in the top seven, eight from Florida defense tackle. I watch tape and I'm like, what in the world? This isn't top seven or eight. You know, he's not a bad player, but that's not top seven or eight. And then, you know, I, I start to pick up on how many guys, how far off some of the, the draft media are on some of these guys. And they probably haven't put the same amount of tape work in because that's all I do. I mean, that's a, you know, they have other stuff they have to do. So you can't put all your time into it. Um, but I will say this. I think that, you know, I think that when it comes to uh, what I'm doing with my mock draft, I, I am looking for guys who are like Osiris Torrance helped himself. He moved. He, he did exactly what you said. I had him day two. I moved him to day one because watching him in person, and I knew he played well against Jalen Carter, which should have been a sign enough for me. But, man, watching him out there in his senior bowl, I just said, okay, I'm going to forget, you know, the body type was a little bit sloppy, but this guy knows how to block. He's really good at it. And I really like my interview. I talked to him on the field after practice, and I really liked his makeup. And, you know, my dad was an O-line coach for years in college and pro football. And so, and I, you know, I'm on the Joe Moore Selection Award Committee with a bunch of O-line guys. And there's a certain mindset you want for O-linemen, and Osiris Torrance has it. So, uh, you know, getting a chance to talk to him made a big difference. So I talked to Luke Musgrave, and, and I think he's, uh, you know, I loved him on tape. But your question's an interesting one because there are momentums that build in the media, but there are also, there are also momentums that can build in the draft world because, you know, they just, for whatever reason, a guy could just be, hanging back and not getting a lot of talk and a lot of buzz. And if they flash at the senior bowl and then they flash again at the combine, like Justin Herbert did, he didn't have a great senior year, but man, he flashed at senior bowl, flashed at combine. Boom. That momentum took off on him. How do you separate that? Right? Like what the scouts call the fog of confusion, right? And getting caught up in the media and seeing the press clippings and, yeah, you know, a guy like last year that for me, it was kind of like Malik Willis. Right. Everybody had him kind of pegged, maybe coming off the board early. And I know it's talking about positional value. And maybe all it takes is one team falling in love. He ends up going in the third round. Mm -hmm. But I think about that for us. The equivalent of that for us is offers. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you're watching a guy that maybe has an offer from Alabama or Georgia or one of the mm -hmm. premier programs in the country. And you're like, man, I don't see it. I feel like they're kind of reaching here. And mm -hmm. you kind of got to go through that game in your head a little bit. Obviously, you've been doing this a long time. And I guess my next question is, is you know, you watch 500 players almost a cycle. Mm -hmm. And and for me, I wonder, how has that helped you over the years as an evaluator? Just learn, like, hey, this is what a Pro Bowl player looks like. This is what a multi-year starter with some limitations looks like, so on and so forth. Yeah, well, you know, to an earlier point you just made, I think that uh, – so Alabama – so you have to know certain teams are looking for height, weight, speed. They're looking for pro traits. They're basically recruiting – pro prospects that's what they're and so Nick Saban understands um you know Matt Rule did a really good job of this at Temple and then again at Baylor and I think he's going to do it at in Nebraska I went and uh you know I'm part of a uh a, my business partner from uh he was a Tampa Bay Bucks 
analytics director, he and I have created a, a scouting platform. You and I should talk about it sometime. And he can project the size, the frame of a player who's 15, 16, 17 years old. He's got a projection mechanism where he can tell you what the frame is going to look like. And so we went and met with Matt Rule when he was at Baylor and he loved it. But, you know, one of the conversations that, that was interesting is Matt Rule, he spent a year with the New York Giants um, and then, you know, went to Temple and he understood height, weight, length, speed. He understood that you need to recruit guys who have NFL traits. And that's what Nick Saban does. But some of those guys are capped out. So they're going to come in as a 19, 18, 19-year-old, 19 fully physically developed. And you have other guys at Northern Iowa, like Spencer Brown and, and, and Trevor Penning, or at, like Luke Gadeke and Bernard Raymond, who these guys are gaining 70, you know, in some cases, 70 to 100 pounds, and they haven't filled out, and, and those are diamonds in the rough. So there's a lot of those guys, too. Uh, so you have to understand the, the growth potential of players. I think watching as many players as I've watched, what's happened is it's, it's twofold. I've had the opportunity to talk to different coaches, position coaches, and really find out. I, I need to find out what is coachable and what's not coachable. So I can look for, okay, I don't want to kill a guy for this because this is coachable, but if it's an athletic issue, if, if you tell me that this is not really a, something that is very coachable, then I need to know what that is too. So I can, you know, so I can anticipate a player not being very good at that particular skill set moving forward. When you watch as many players as I do, the fog, man, you had some really good stuff in there. You do have to shut out it's hard to shut out the outside world. At some point though, in your process, you start to learn to trust yourself and trust your eyes. And usually it happens after the draft where you've, you you did too much, your ears listened a little too much and you moved the guy up or you moved the guy down. And then a year or two later, you're saying, damn it, I should have, I should never have done that. It happened with me with Darius Leonard, now Shaq Leonard. I mean, I've moved him down a little bit and some of it was because he couldn't work out at the combine. It really wasn't because of anything that you know, anyone told me, you know, anyone said, but I will find myself every year saying I should have stuck with my original. I shouldn't have moved this guy at all. The tape, I was dead on with the tape. And so you have to have confidence, but the way you build confidence is by watching as many players as I watch you, you learn to recognize certain things and you learn to shortcut your process. Meaning, you know, it also takes being ready to figure out why you missed on a player. So if you find out why you missed the player, that's the most valuable thing. Or if you find out why a player is, is just better than you expected, that has so much value. And I do it every year. Jalen Watson, cornerback for the Kansas City Chiefs, seventh round pick. You know, Isaiah Pacheco, I wrote him up like he was great, but I put a grade on him that was, you know, seventh round. And so you go back and you have to say, okay, why did I, what, what was missing here? On him, And so, you know, it gets back to a lot of times the traits matter. And so, especially for Jalen Watts in the corner. And so when you watch all these players as, as often as, you know, as many as I do, you start to say, okay, this doesn't matter as much as I thought. Ball skills matter for cornerbacks. Follow the ball skills, follow the ball skills. So I've learned that, you know, and it doesn't always show up necessarily with ball production, but the other thing is, you know, you can't get too caught up in production at linebacker, tackle production. It's good, but what? go watch the tape and what kind of tackle production is it? Is it a bunch of assists? Are guys getting there by themselves? Um, are they playing in a, a defense where they are doing a lot of, you know, run blitzing? 
which certainly helps out. But the more you watch, the more you begin to see what matters the most and what doesn't matter as much. And so your process really gets fine-tuned, and then you start to be able to rely on previous years. Oh, remember that player? That's who this guy looks like. Remember that player? That's who this guy looks like. So I think um, I think the more you watch, the better you get at evaluating. It's You don't even have to know exactly what you're looking for, but the more you watch, and this is important too. I had Jerry uh, Angelo tell me this, former GM of the Chicago Bears, tell me, say what you see. That's the advice he gave me the first year I started writing for NFL.com. He said, just say what you see. Just just say exactly what you see. Don't get so caught up in scout speak and all this and that. He said, but say what you see. And when you do that, Cooper, you really, it really helps you out. Now, you know, on the high school level, you got to do a lot more projection and you have to figure, I think it's probably the hardest evaluation to do because you got to sift through wildly different levels of competition. Um, but say what you see is a really valuable tool when it comes to telling someone who a player is. We're going to take a quick break. Keep it locked to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage with over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's interesting that you mention it because, you know, my, my first job that I had in, in, in football was as an intern at Alabama. And the first thing they, they teach you is a circle, right? The three prongs. What, how, and why. What are they doing? How are they doing it? And why are they doing it? And the why part is obviously more subjective in terms of what's between the ears. But I think that second part is so important. A lot of people like to point to the stats, like we, we're, we're in the PFF era, right? This mm -hmm. guy graded out like this, but yeah, you talked about it. And I think, you know, the guys that come up for me, I, I'm thinking about Nick Bolton, just all over the field, right? Uh, for yeah. the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, second round pick, a guy that was kind of knocked because of his combine performance, but super productive at Missouri, and we're having this conversation the other day. You know, a guy for me I had in my area, Quinshawn Junkins, one of the best running backs in the country as a true freshman at Ole Miss. And I went low on him, and I really liked the player. But I got so held up on the negative of top-end speed as a question mark mm -hmm. that I, I completely undervalued 
his vision and burst. And, you know, when I met with Jim Nagy at the senior bowl, I kind of told him like the same story. And I said, I, like what I miss here and, and what are the two traits that maybe stand out? And he talked about vision and burst and why that's so important and all the studies that they had done when he was back in Seattle about all these super productive Hall of Fame type running backs that were guys that weren't even sub four, six guys. Right. Sure. So to me, and I'm kind of pivoting here, but we rely so much on the objective and analytical part of the process when projecting these guys at, at this age of their physical development. And I think you have to, but the two positions where I feel like me personally have been burnt and I got to go back and, 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 and it's more about, okay, do they have patience? Do they have vision? Right. That's harder. Like, how do you really quantify that? Right. Mm -hmm. in, in terms of what you see at a combine, it's the same thing and what you see with a linebacker. And I'm watching, you know, a guy from Alabama, 2024, Brad, uh, Bradley Shaw, and he's so instinctive. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if he's got top 32 ceiling, but this guy, just in terms of the floor, <laughs> it, it, it's elite. And I think the, the floor is where it is because of the football instincts and because of the football intelligence and his ability to be a proactive defender, not a reactive defender. So I think all those points are, are really interesting there. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, let me say something about the running back thing. So, uh, you know, so it's interesting. I, I studied O-line play and, and blocking and, and zone scheme stuff when the Texans had Arian Foster. They had Alex Gibbs. And, of course, you know, my, my dad's background. But I really learned a lot. Um, I really learned a lot watching all these O-lines because you, you recognize different things with backs. And you just mentioned something. Vision and so tempo is a really big deal to me. Guys who can run with a certain tempo, but you don't have to. You can be herky jerky and still be Isaiah Pacheco is a herky jerky runner. As long as you know that different running backs are going to succeed in different ways, that's really important. So you don't just look for the same type of guy because then if a guy falls outside of, you know, that style, you can miss on him. But the other thing is you talk about vision and 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 Vision, decisiveness, and burst. If you've got vision, decisiveness, and burst, you play faster. So you've automatically counted your top end speed. And you know what? There's a lot of value in an 18-yard run, even though 38 yards would be a whole lot better. There's a lot of value in that. But if you play with enough burst, and then you talked about instincts too, a feel, and, and really this is any position, but just specifically to running back, watching on tape for me is so much fun when you see a guy who can feel run lane development, who can feel the shifting. And it's something that they you couldn't – like it is completely instinctive. And I don't think it's coachable. I really don't. So when you have that, when you can feel the positioning of – it's like being a really good passer in basketball. You just have a sense of space. And when those guys can feel the space shifting, they instinctively make cuts in a certain direction without even thinking about it. When you have players like that, they can succeed. Um, my brother coached Jacquez Rogers at Lamar Consolidated in, in Houston. He went on to be a, a really talented three-year starter at Oregon State. And he was 5'6", 190 pounds, but really instinctive, great vision, and highly productive throughout high school and throughout his college years. And it's because he was A, tough. B, he was fearless in terms of making the cuts and trusting him. And then he just had a vision and an instinct, and he did not have great top-end speed. He was not going to hit the home run. But those guys absolutely 
They can absolutely play. And you know it when you see it on tape right away. And then you'll see guys who are freaky athletes and they'll test really well, but they don't have great vision and they're kind of clumsy getting through the line of scrimmage. And they're not very elusive up to the second level. When they find somebody, they'll just drop their head and finish. Those guys don't last as long. And um, Kirby Wilson, who was a really good running back coach in the NFL for years, he gave me advice one time, Cooper. He said, players, a running back has to be able to create for himself through elusiveness or through power. Now, I added speed. So I find three ways, elusiveness, power, or speed. If you can, if you can create yardage for yourself that the offensive line can't always create for you, you can be a good back in the league through elusiveness or power or speed. If you can't do any of those things, then you're just a guy and you may play for a couple of years. If it's blocked well, you can, you know, you'll get what's take what's there, but you're not going to be anything special. Every once in a while, you'll get an Adrian Peterson who could create through elusiveness, power, and speed, all three. That's when you know you have a special back when they can do two of the three. And when you have three of three, you got a potential Hall of Famer on your hands. But you got to be able to do one of those three if you want to be a guy who can start in the league and last for any amount of time. It's funny because we we really had a in-depth debate about who our RB1 should be this year in the 2023 cycle. And there's a kid I'm just absolutely in love with. Ironically enough, he's going to Alabama. You know, his dad played in the NFL, uh, got drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was a fifth-round draft pick, and this guy's a two-sport athlete. And you get around him, right? He, he He's kind of mighty mouse. He's five foot nine. He's 200 pounds. But, man, he's got a little bit of magic to him. You, you, you talked mm-hmm. about the elusiveness, the wiggle, and then the other thing is just the, the center of gravity. Like, I kind of felt that with, like, Clyde edwards Elair coming out of yeah. Catholic and Baton Rouge. It was the same thing. He was just such an efficient mover with very little wasted motion, and he always had a plan. And, the, and yeah. the plan was instincts, you know. Um, but some guys, you just feel it on tape. Uh, and, and that's great, kind of having those three three traits that you're kind of looking for uh, in the running back position. But, Lance, I kind of want to move on to, to these quarterbacks, and I'm sure you got some opinions uh, on these guys coming out in this draft class. And I kind of think it's a, it's a unique draft class. Like, all these guys kind of offer something different in terms of the top four arms, at least what we've seen. Uh, by consensus, you got Bryce Young out of Alabama. You got Will Levis out of Kentucky, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State, and then Anthony Richardson right there is going to be mocked in the top 20. And another guy I want to talk about outside of that group is Jay Kaner, a guy that I was with at Washington who has thrived uh, at, at Fresno State. But before we dive into this, I just kind of want to get your genero- g- generic thoughts on, on maybe those four or five guys to start because I think – you know, I don't, I don't want to pigeonhole you here, but it's, it's, you know, Bryce Young, we, from a production standpoint has been elite. And then there's like, all right, can we overthink it here? Because I remember when he was coming out of modern day, it was the same question. Is he big enough? Is the frame going to be able to hold up three to four years later? Here we are, you know, Will Levis is kind of this mixed bag in terms of what was he 19 and 10 TD to INT ratio. Right. The offensive line wasn't as good this year. So you got a little bit of a muddy devaluation, but a big athlete with upside. And we've kind of seen that work out. And then CJ Stroud is like, how high is the ceiling? You feel really good about the dude. And then Anthony Richardson is like, who knows? Total wild card, right? Just in terms of the skill set, great athlete can throw the ball ball a mile, but is consistency going to be an issue? So 
that's like a really intriguing group. It kind of seems like, hey, what what's your flavor? Yeah, I mean, so it's going to be interesting because this is a draft unlike anything I've seen where the top quarterback is going to be the smallest starter since Doug Flutie in 2001. And that's just, you know, that's just a fact based on his height, weight, frame. Um, then you have <laughs> then you have a defensive lineman who is going to be about six feet, 280 pounds and Kalijah Kansi, who might be the most disruptive defensive lineman in all of the draft. I mean, even including Jalen Carter, he's 280. Then you take a look at Nathaniel Tank Dell, who's the most one of the most unguardable prospects in the entire draft. He played in the 150s this year, and he weighed 163 at the uh, at the at the Senior Bowl. So I mean, this is an unusually small class. Stetson Bennett, if he gets drafted, we're going to see two quarterbacks, sub six foot, sub 200 pounds, drafted in the same draft. That's almost unheard of. It is unheard of. I don't know when the last time that will have happened. But for me, yeah, the Bryce Young thing, I get it. I totally get it. You're going up against grown men who in some cases are going to be over 100 pounds heavier than Bryce Young who are going to hit him and land on him. And, yeah, it's it's a concern. But as a quarterback, there's really not anyone close to him in the draft. I mean, he's been he's not only been productive. So here's the, here's the check marks. Has, he's a full field reader. Um, has the ability to move around inside the pocket and create time for himself or get outside of the pocket and extend for himself. He's got, I think, uh, I think he's got an, uh, an okay arm. I think it's, I think it's fine. I don't think there's nothing special to it. He throws with pretty good timing. Um, he has unbelievable poise, great command of the offense. He seems to hyper-focus when the game is on the line and he has been the same guy since he got there. It hasn't really changed. And if I want to make a case for CJ Stroud, you know, I've got to really, I've got to really lean into that game against Georgia. And it was a terrific game, best game he's had at, at Ohio State. But I got to lean on one game and have to kind of forget some of the other stuff. Uh, with Will Levis, you almost have to throw out 22 and just go look at 21 because he had some injuries in 22 and it just really wasn't good. But I'm not a guy that can just easily forget an entire year, uh, to be honest. And traits are great, but we have got to quit assuming that everyone's going to be, um, uh, you know, everyone's going to be the next uh, Josh Allen. Because I think Josh Allen's going to end up really being an outlier. There's a lot more Jake Lockers than there are Josh Allens. And then, uh, you know, with Anthony Richardson, tremendous upside when it looks good. And I thought what was interesting on tape is his best game of the year for me especially from a mechanical standpoint, was Utah. And that was the first game. And his mechanics were pretty good. And so, you know, if you watch him late in the year, it's just sloppy. It's all over the place. The feet aren't there. And so now I've got to say from a projectable standpoint, remember, we always have to talk about what's coachable. Well, he does have accuracy issues. However, I would also tell you that can they be mitigated with, with more work? Well, I saw him come into a game and operate with pretty good mechanics. So that tells me that maybe if you're really drilling down on him and you have a quarterback coach who really is making that a focal point inside of a season, that maybe he can be, a, a, you know, he can really develop better muscle memory reflex. So now I have to take that into account versus the negatives. But you also said something that was important before. The biggest misses are because we don't focus on what a player can do. We focus on what we feel like they can't do. But what can they do? 
What can they do? That's the most important thing because what you know a player can do, he's going to do. So you got to focus on the impact that, that what a player can do is going to have uh, on his career and for a team. With Anthony Richardson, he can do a lot of things. He's got great push arm uh, to get it to any spot on the field. We know he can hurt you with his legs. With Will Levis, I saw a lack of poise at times. It really concerned me, but he does have good arm talent and you know the physical stuff is there. C.J. Stroud showed a little bit of everything, and he finally decided he was going to leave the pocket, which I thought was very important for his success. But Bryce Young is already doing all those things. Like everything that I'm trying to talk myself into, Bryce already does them. So it really comes down to, am I okay with the size? Well, I had a GM tell me this. If, you don't, if you're worried about his size, then, then do whatever it takes to get the right tackles in there get an offense coordinator or quarterback coach that teaches him to get the ball out quickly and make sure that you can run the football to keep linebackers honest and safeties honest. And and because his whole point was don't pass up a great quarterback just because you haven't seen a player this size, you know, in over 20 years. I am interested in terms of the case of Anthony Richardson. You, you talk about, okay, what what is coachable, right? And Josh Allen, to me, I, I remember studying him when I was at the University of Washington, him coming out. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought to myself, I, this guy's got accuracy issues. I don't think you can fix it. I did, too. I thought the same thing. And then what? what is he, like, hovering around, like, 67% or something like that? Completion rate? I, I don't know. I know it, I know it jumped drastically yeah. in his third year, I think, in the league. So do you know and, why? Do you have an idea why? I just see, have I, hard... I had to go back and find out why. I had to well, know why. I my, not to, not watching a ton of Buffalo. I think they did a really good job surrounding him at every level with playmakers at every part of the field, on the outside and in the perimeter. The other part of that is to me, it's like even if you were to say, "Yeah, the feet are coachable," and that's where a lot of the accuracy issues begin and end. Is that going to make a you know seven, eight, nine, ten percent completion point jump? No, never in my mind did I think that was possible. No, so it's so here's here's why I think it happened, and I did the same thing you did, and I gave him a grade that would be basically a second round grade, and I just didn't think uh, you know you can't you can't correct the accuracy numbers, but you have to go find out why. Like, okay, why is he inaccurate at Wyoming? And usually it's a guy just naturally just doesn't have the hand-eye coordination to deliver the ball in the space where it needs to go. Um, you know, I, I found out that Hendon Hooker has some of those issues on some throws in between the hashes, and I did not expect to find that today when I watched it on tape. Um, Richardson has some issues with just throwing from, I call them everyday accuracy, just point A to point B. He's not putting it on the hands. C.J. Stroud was as good as I saw in the, in the draft this year. He is really accurate at putting it on guys' hands. So, he has that level of accuracy. Bryce Young is is not at the same level as Stroud from a pure accuracy standpoint. But the thing that I went back and found and realized, because I want to go find out, you know, how am I missing on this after a couple years ago? So, you know, it was two, it was twofold. His wide receivers did not get open very well at all at Wyoming. Now that's just happens to be one of the th- one of the factors. But the other thing was Cooper, he didn't throw with great time. He didn't throw with good timing. So what would happen was he would be a step late and letting it come out because he had such an arm that I think just subconsciously he started waiting on certain throws to make sure 
guys were where he needed them to be, and then he would just rifle it in there. But what happens is if you have guys who are not very good separators and you are a step late with your anticipatory throws, then everything's covered and everything is contested. And your your completion percentage is going to really suffer uh, because of that, uh, including the fact that he just was kind of a wild child throwing the football. I mean, it was it was all of those things. He went to Buffalo, was a little up and down early in his career, but once he got the combination of Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, that was the initial combination, man, he had an easy target to throw to out of the slot. And then he had a guy who was one of the premier route runners and get open guys. And then he, you know, Josh did what he did, which was run the football well. Then they added Gabe Davis as a vertical threat and Dawson Knox. So you're right. They, they added, they added weapons that are versatile and were not similar weapons. They all have different features to them, but I think he's a guy that worked on it, had good coaching, but also I think his anticipatory throwing and the fact that he had better receivers are the primary catalysts um, and having a, and, you know, trusting the short throws. I think not playing the hero ball like he did at Wyoming and trusting his short throws more. And that's a maturity thing. That's not a coaching thing. You just have to learn, hey, you know what? Let me take six and we'll move on to the next one. I'm not going to go try to get 18 out of this. He can be – you said it earlier, and I think he's the exception to the rule. And you look at Josh Allen, and now you're looking at guys like Will Levis, right? You're looking at guys like Anthony Richardson. I'm more buyer beware on those guys. Um, and Josh Allen, you know, you turn on the tape of him in Wyoming, one in every four throws was like, to me, left your jaw on the, uh, on the ground a little bit. I just felt like, hey, can he channel this consistently? And I felt like we had seen that in the past not work out with a handful of guys. He obviously proved different. So that that that's definitely interesting to kind of see what happens with those two guys we mentioned there. But Lance, I'm, I'm interested to get your 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 takeaways on on Jay Kaner, former quarterback mm-hmm. at Washington at Fresno State. You got to see him in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. You, I think a lot of people were just trying to figure him out. Obviously, his size, you know, the the knock on him. I've been around him, and I can tell you this. I mean, as you know, I'm sure if you. you were around him a little bit in Mobile or, or know anybody that knows him, he does not lack confidence at all. It almost feels like a little bit borderline arrogance, like Baker Mayfield-ish. You know, I kind of put him in that same category, kind of being around him. But for him, he's got this huge chip on his shoulder, and I think that's a big part of who he is in his game. Interested to kind of get your thoughts on how he performed in, in, in Mobile and, and kind of where you see his career in the NFL. I think with I, I do think there's a, I thought he was solid, um, especially after the first day. I thought he was solid. It was a really uh, one of the lower level, lower level quarterback uh, participants in Senior Bowl that I've seen in all my times there. Now, obviously, Stetson Bennett opted out, and Hendon Hooker, you know, had the injury, and so there was things beyond the control of of Jim Nagy, of course. But um, I thought Hayner was was fine. I thought he was the most consistent of the quarterbacks. I do think there is a desire to try to, you know, I think people want to find that next guy. Like, can we find someone who's off the grid? And so it makes it easier maybe to put a little pump on guys like that. Like, I remember not being a fan of Kyle Lauletta coming out of Richmond, and everyone wanted to really jump on on board with him, and it was just – he just didn't have the arm talent. I think Hayner, what stands out 
with me is what you talked about. And I go back and, you know, I'll go watch videos of these guys when I, when I write them up, especially quarterbacks, I'll go watch videos. I want to kind of get a feel for the personality. I'll look at their social media accounts. Um, I read as many articles as I can where coaches are commenting about, about the players. And then I'll get into the tape. And with Hayner, two-time captain, who I don't think from an NFL trait standpoint, as you mentioned, I thought the, the ball, the nose of the ball, kind of dove on some of his throws. Um, I didn't think he had a, a big arm, and I still question in terms of the NFL arm. But he's smart inside the pocket. He takes care of the football over four four to one uh, touchdown interception ratio for his career, and he just was a really high football IQ player. Just really knew what he wanted to do before and after the snap. Good command of the offense, and all those things are what you have to have if your if your arm talent's going to be average. Your size is average. You have to work with with good anticipation, um, with good timing. You have to be accurate, and then you have to understand where you want to go with the football, especially before the play starts, because it makes your job that much easier. And he's a guy that does have some of that. You know, he's got some of that. And and usually coming out in college, there's not a lot of guys like that in any draft that have those features that where they know what they want to do pre and post snap, because you're not really asked to in college anymore. You're not asked to read defenses. You're not even asked to call audibles. It's coming from the sideline with a, you know, a picture of a kid, you know, eating a cookie or something. And all of a sudden that's, that's going to be a route combination. And, and so you don't really learn to play the position the way you used to. It has to be taught on the next level, but you get the sense that Jake, that Hayner knows what he's doing out there. This is a guy who already is ready. And, you know, I know the guy hasn't had success because of the injury stuff, but Trey Lance, Trey Lance hasn't played enough football yet, but he went through a process at North Dakota State talking to their uh, their offensive coordinator. Man, they have them prepare like a pro quarterback would. It's unbelievable that they're installed during the week and all the different cutups the quarterbacks are responsible for pulling the two down, you know, the two minute cutup. The blitz package cut up that there's a there was four different days of different cut ups that they had to watch and study for. And um, and that's not happening at power five schools. A lot of times they a lot of power five schools. You don't have to. You don't have to have that. I mean, the coaches will make sure that you're ready and they'll do it and they'll teach you what you need to know with North Dakota State and some of the smaller schools. I think they expect the quarterbacks in some cases to learn to be smart quarterbacks. Yeah, it's interesting. I, and, and, you know, talking on Jake Hayner, when I was at Washington, we had Eason, uh-huh. Jacob Eason, we had Jacob Hayner, and that was a quarterback battle. And I remember talking to somebody inside that building who was very prominent in the decision-making process, not going to name names. He's like, that's the first time in my career that we're probably going to have to name the guy, the starter, you know, that, I don't know, it was kind of a toss-up, kind of felt one way. But, you know, there was one guy that was former five-star, came with a lot of expectations. And now you kind of fast-forward the clock and you look at Jacob Hayner. To me, yeah, those guys are different physically, and maybe Easton kind of jumps off the tape a little bit with the arm talent. And really the arm talent, I just mean the arm strength outside of that. I think he left a lot to be desired. Hayner, between the ears, his will to compete and win, completely different. And, you know, I'm not trying to throw throw shade at Jacob Eason here, but I think that's part of who he no, is. No, look at Brock Purdy. Um, right? I mean, Brock Purdy is a great example of that, too, a four-year starter. People, Somebody brought up my scouting report to him, thinking that he'd, he'd piss him off. He's like, no, that's right. He said, you know, 
my last two years on tape weren't very good. And I went to work on the things I needed to work on. And what he is, is he's a mentally tough, you know, you want to have mentally tough guys, but also guys who, who are supremely confident. Everyone's confidence can get shaken, but how quickly can you get it back? And that's important. And if Hayner has that, you know, I'm not saying he's an NFL starter, but would you like to go take a look at how much NFL backups make in the course of their career? Chase Daniel's still out there killing it. <laughs> you know, Case Keenum says, keep, keep the checks coming in. At robbing the bank, man. They know a thing or two about that. Guys, we're talking with Lance Zerline, NFL media draft analyst, also works for NFL.com. You can check out his work there. You can also follow him on Twitter at Lance Zerline, Z-I-E-R-L-E-I-N. We're going to take a quick break. Keep it locked to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lance, I gotta, I'm, I'm going to prepare you for something because it's, mm-hmm. it's something that you should probably... I need to put it on your radar right now, and I'm sure you already know it, but in three to four years, there's going to be this guy. His name is going to be Arch Manning. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of buzz around him, right? And we just went through this whole process. Arch Madness is what they called it. And it's pretty fascinating. You got a four-year starter at Newman. He's got the jeans, right? He's six foot four and a half. He's 220 pounds. I've, I've gotten to see him live multiple times. And every time I was kind of I was ready to be disappointed. I was ready to say, this guy is not who I think he is. And every time I walked away, it was the opposite. I walked away with more conviction. That being said, there's some legitimate gripes about where we ranked him. He ended up being the number one player in the country for us. And a guy that had a really clean resume, but he's playing two-way ball, smaller level ball at Newman in New Orleans, a school that you're Mm -hmm. familiar with, the same school Odell Beckham went to. And this is a really strong quarterback class for us that we had. We kind of, you know, to – I'm assuming you're not familiar, but the guy we ranked right behind him going to Tennessee, Nico Iamaileva, just dripping with upside. Super raw, but a kid that just completed over a little less than 60% completion rate over two years as a starter. There's another kid going to UCLA out of Michigan, Dante Moore, who's about as clean as they come. Let's just call him the Bryce Moore of the class. So those are the three names. And then you got Arch Manning, to me, who kind of encompasses – the best combination of highest floor with yet to be developed upside. And I think the other part of the equation that a lot of people don't take into consideration is the fact that, okay, people love to knock the competition, but you got to look at that twofold, the surrounding talent, right? We just talked about that at Wyoming. 
and what that meant to Josh Allen, very similar <clears throat> to what Arch Manning's dealing with at Newman. And I'm not trying yeah. to make excuses for him, but this is a guy that's going to go and play with the elite level talent at Texas with some of the receivers that they're bringing in. I guess what I'm saying is my question is, let's say Arch Manning ends up being a quarterback that's worthy of consideration of being in that conversation, right? Being in the same conversation of Bryce Young, Will Levis, so on and so forth. That pedigree, right? Because that's the word that gets thrown out so much in this part of the evaluation process. That pedigree, when everything else is equal, how much do you take that into consideration and weigh that and say, hey, I just know where this guy is coming from. I've seen it. And then you get around the kid and you feel it. And yeah, maybe there are some guys that do have this intoxicating upside that say, hey, if they hit, that's going to be the guy. But I kind of know what I'm getting with this guy and I still think he can be better. And I know he's going to be a pro. Yeah, I think, the, you know, the first question that you would have to ask yourself right now, which I'd be curious if his name was Archie Masterson, um, and I'm sure you guys were already asked this, but, you know, if he didn't have the name Manning, would there be any doubt that he would still be number one? Or do you doubt that that bias? And I think that, and I ask you that almost uh, rhetorically, because what's going to happen is at some point, you know, it's the same way where you scout with, and you see the Alabama helmet, and you see the Clemson helmet, the Ohio State helmet. And you have to get away from that at some point. You have to, you have to be able to not scout the the helmet and scout the players because I read the bios on these guys. I know who the three stars were, the four stars, the five stars, um, and it's amazing how many of these five stars. And typically, you know, the five stars who turn into not not very good players, but a lot of times they're still getting invited to the combine, and a lot of times they test really well at the combine. And so I understand the process because the stars also have to do with who the best athletes are, because these guys, you know, more times than not will turn out to be pretty good players. Um, I think the star stuff gets hammered on by fans way too much. I mean, there's a lot of guys that do hit that are four and five stars. Um, with Arch Manning, you know, I guess you have to sift through. He's Cooper's kid. So he's not Archie. He's, he's not, you know, Peyton Manning's son. He's not Eli's son. He's Cooper's. Does he just learn everything through osmosis? Do the Mannings all sit down and, and go through tape together? Like, I know it's in his DNA, and that sounds good, but a lot of times when we see – we see a lot of success for sons of players because they just understand preparation. They understand what it takes. There's a level of confidence in Asante Samuel Jr., who went out and had a great year this year in the pros, better than I thought he played his senior year of at Florida State. There's just something about guys who have had – parents who have done it in the pro level my guess is i'm with you i kind of just feel like he's he's a manning you know he'll be around the manning camp so work at all that stuff there's a level of swagger and confidence he'll have there's going to be a high football iq i'm assuming all that like everyone else is going to but i do think it's a fair question to ask is he i mean this isn't Peyton. this isn't peyton jr um you know does he have the same can he play the same chess match peyton was not a great athlete. Peyton did not have a great arm. Peyton was the ultimate chess master and knew exactly, maybe that's ever played in that regard and just knew exactly what he wanted to do and where he wanted to go at the football at all times. Will Arch have that? You know, will he be, will he, will he, will he be allowed to be that player 
under Steve Sarkeesian? Will Sarkeesian let him develop as a thinking quarterback, or is he going to be micromanaged um, under Sarkeesian at Texas? I think those are all questions that we have to wait and see the answer for. But I think we all know that the name Manning, as long as he performs at a high level and is productive and lives up to the hype in any regards, um, it's, it's going to be hard not to – it's going to be hard to ignore his last name because we know what his, what his uncles have done. I agree. And I think it's, I think it's a unique case and, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of see that play out over the next couple of years. And that's, you know, it, it's bound to happen. It's just going to happen. You know, he's, he's going to be good enough in my opinion to where there's going to be no questions in terms about physically, like the arm doesn't blow you away, but it's good. It's not good enough. It's good. You know, the accuracy, the timing, the anticipation, all that's good. If there's one part of his game where I think he needs to get better, it's performing better with more poise under pressure. And I mm-hmm. think that's that goes back to what we were saying earlier. Is that coachable? And I think it is. And that's an um, important one, though. That's a really, really important one. <laughs> so that's that's going to be a fun one. Lance, I got like 100 more questions for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm loving nerding out with you, but I don't want to go too far over an hour. You know, I was just kind of looking at that mock, and I know it's – you know, like we talked about, it's it's the first one, so you don't put a ton of stock into it. But this guy, Luke Musgrave, I'm so curious about because we recruited him at Washington. And it was a guy who didn't have a ton of attention. He was from the sticks in Oregon. And he wouldn't even return our calls. He was so dead set on going to Oregon State. And there really wasn't a ton of information on him. You turned on the film. You're like, all right, I like this kid, developmental guy. Didn't think – he'd be a, a potential top 32 draft pick. But, you know, I'm looking at the tight end position. There's two other tight ends that you got mocked going in the top 32. And you got Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame, who every time I've turned on the TV, I just enjoy watching. Talk about a guy that knows how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And then Dalton Kincaid out of, out of Utah. And both those guys, prolific. And I think from a media standpoint, I think a lot of people are very familiar with mm-hmm. those two guys. To me, the outlier was Musgrave. Mm-hmm. And you got to see him at the Senior Bowl, and it was kind of interesting. I was reading your report about him coming off an injury. What is it about him that kind of stands out, how he's been able to kind of separate himself? And maybe there's not a ton of separation. I think he had two spots between Musgrave yeah. and Aaron. But, yeah. you know, just just in terms of, okay, we, we got this guy in the conversation and potentially being a, a, a top 20 draft pick. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. Uh, people will probably be surprised at this, but – So I watch, you know, I watch football on Saturday like everyone else, but I'm not evaluating. And I don't like to evaluate players and start to write notes or anything like that until I get my tape. And I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait. And I don't write up the best. I'll write a lot of small school guys. I write some offensive linemen. I'll get to some tight ends will be the first positions um, that I write typically because I start trying in November. So I've only got tape up through October. So I've got limited tape and I'll take a look. I always look at the previous year as well. But when I got to Musgrave, I didn't know a lot about him. He only had two games. Um, He only had two games this year before he got injured. And, and of course I had all of 2021. Well, okay. So I'll see, you probably remember this. If you don't, I'll help you out. But do you know who's his uncle? Hmm. I'm going to guess Bill. Yep, that's his uncle, Bill Musgrave, former NFL coach. I think former. I don't. I don't know. Maybe he's still coaching. Uh, do you remember what was special about him athletically coming out when he was a young, a younger guy? Talking about Luke Musgrave. Yeah. 
if I had to guess, was it was it multi-sport background? Yep, he was a championship skier. He was a championship slalom skier. And so I learned all this when I was doing my research on him. And then when you watch the tape, it makes total sense because this guy can get in and out of breaks with just incredibly smooth hips and feet. I mean, which is exactly what you'd have to do if you're a skier in slalom. You got to be able to to shift weight and bound. And I watched him getting in and out of his breaks. I watched him releasing and avoiding contact at the line of scrimmage. Um, there was a smoothness that just stuck out uh, that just stuck out in his first two games um, this year. And he had a bunch of catches in those games. And I went and watched him in 2021, and he was good there too. I actually liked him better in 2022. And then I noticed as he's running the seam, I'm like, man, nobody can keep up with this guy. And then, um, you know, I looked at his – I looked at the national scouting size on him, and he looked like he, he had really good size. You know, he had good size, good length, good arm length. He had all the measurables. So now I've got – a plus athletic profile on him. I've got, uh, I don't have a production profile on him, not enough production. I've got a plus athletic production. I've got a profile. I've got a plus physical profile on him. And then for me, it's important. I, I got to see if you can block because I'm going to designate you differently if you can block. Dalton Kincaid's not a blocker. I don't care. He's a pass catcher. That's how I'm going to use him if I draft him. Oregon State is an outside zone team, as you know. They demand that their tight ends block a little bit. Uh, uh, Tegan Quateriano was drafted by the Texans last year. He played a little bit for the Texans this year. You have to be able to block. Musgrave will block. He will absolutely block. So now i got a guy who will block in line or connected uh, as a wing. I've got a guy who is fast enough to mismatch people on the perimeter if he wants to split out. And I've got a great physical profile. I saw him at Senior Bowl, and I was blown away. Better looking guy than I even expected. I mean, really well proportioned, really well built. And I I don't really have a big nod for one guy over the, the next. It's what flavor ice cream do you want? If you want just a guy to go catch passes and and do what you know Kelsey does and, and or Mark Andrews does, then then Kincaid's gonna be your guy. You want a true why? Man, Mayor's gonna be your guy. You want a guy like Kyle Shanahan likes that can block, but also can play all three levels, can threaten three levels as a tight end, you're going to like Musgrave. So those are the three different types of tight ends. But for, for me, Musgrave's high side athletically, physically, and the fact that he can block and catch is really a big deal for me. And then I, I called him with some NFL uh, scouts and, and, and uh, personnel execs, and I said, man, what do you think about – have you watched the Musgrave kid? Oh, yeah. He's my favorite. And I had I had two or three teams tell me he's their favorite in the draft also. So I knew I was on the right track. But then you have other teams say it's Kincaid. Um, nobody really says Mayor, but that's because I think they like the specialty of – I think they like the athletic numbers of one guy. And then, you know, the uh, Kincaid plays faster than his time speed, and he drops nothing. There's like nothing that's going to be dropped. Um, Mayor's a guy that if you love – nasty guys that will block and can go get you catches as well. I mean, there's nothing not to like about Mayer. He's just not the same dynamic athlete maybe uh, that that maybe the other two guys have a little bit more athleticism as route runners. So I just put good players in the first round. And anyone who's watched football knows that, man, uh, if you have a really good tight end, that is such an advantage in today's NFL. And I happen to see three of them that I think are outstanding. And I, I've left out Schoonmaker from Michigan, who I think is a really good second rounder. And 
Tucker Craft, I think, has a chance to be pretty good. And, and uh, uh, Davis Allen from uh, um, uh, Clemson, who I think that's his name, catches everything thrown his way. This is going to be a really special tight end draft. I'm very excited about it. But that's who Luke, Luke Musgrave is. He is a guy who I think is going to check all of the projection boxes to where a lot of teams are going to care a lot less about you know, how much projection production he had. They just have to make sure he stays healthy. Make my heart warm with the the Luke Schoonmaker. You know, I was a recruiting coordinator in Michigan. We had Schoonmaker. That was the only year that I was there. It was 2018. I think it was the lowest-ranked recruiting class that we've had to date, but had guys like Aiden Hutchinson, who was a no-brainer. We had guys yeah. like Cam McGrone, you know, Schooney. Ryan Hayes was in that class as well. Yeah. Uh, so that ended up being a productive class. And you know the thing, I mean, Schoonmaker came out of – believe a prep school in new england and really? was a he's tough he's a was, tough son of a bitch now i i like him i like and, him a lot and played quarterback but it just goes to show i mean that was a guy we had zero evidence of inline ability and the thing that we were concerned about with him was was he going to be able to put on the weight and he kind of you know got to campus was a little narrow then you see him i mean they've done a great job i mean he looks apart too so um Pretty interesting there. Lance, I got one more question on, on one more guy and then maybe one follow-up after that. But Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, and this is just personal philosophy for me. You know, this is a guy that I think a lot of people feel really good about being one of the top tackles in the class, one of the cleanest tackles as well. 32 and a quarter-inch arms. And, you know, I kind of went through this last year. We had this guy, Will Campbell, out of Neville High School in, in Monroe and ends up going to LSU, and we knew this guy was nasty, really good player, just played the position really well. Came in at 33 inches, which wasn't, which wasn't the, the, the worst, but still on the shorter side. And I think the biggest drawback I had was, hey, is this guy going to be a day one NFL draft pick at the tackle position? I felt better more about his long-term trajectory inside. And we've seen guys, right? We've seen guys like Penae Sewell, Rashawn Slater, but when you look at those guys, just the elite athletes who really overcompensate in, in, in a lot of different ways. You look at Skaronsky, I wonder, and I'm just using him as an example, but guys on the shorter side at the tackle spot, less than average. So let's let's call it 30% or less. What do you feel like they have to do so well that they can overcompensate and still be considered a day one NFL draft pick? Yeah, so the average height for a tackle is runs over six five. The average length on a tackle right now, I believe, is uh, it's kind of runs in cycles. Some some draft classes you have really short arm tackles, and some of them you have long. You know, you want to, you'd like them. Thirty four is the magic number. You'd like them to be at about thirty four inches. Um, guys who have broad backs, typically, you got guys who have longer wingspans. So now the the arm length seems even longer when you have a good long wingspan. So I think more and more teams are are starting to kind of rely on wingspan a little bit more than just arm length that can be fudged. Players can kind of, you know, manipulate the arm a little bit. And and with wingspan, it, it just is what it is. Um, what you have to have is really quick hands and a well-timed punch. So if you're going to be play tackle, if you're going to be uh, – my dad at Pittsburgh had a guy named Willie Colon who was – I don't know, maybe a shade right around 6'3", maybe even shorter than that. That's pretty much, you know, you just don't see that for tackles. And uh, Clemson has a history of playing shorter guys at tackle. It's 
it's weird. I've seen this like their last two uh, cycles of, of Jackson Carmen. Huh? Yeah. Well, not Jackson Carmen. Jackson Carmen played guard. It's a uh, Jordan McFadden this year. He's right. under six three, I believe. And then there was another guy I can't remember his name that I wrote up about two or three years ago, who uh, Ankrum something Ankrum, and uh, he was another like sub six three or but shorter as a tackle. What you have to have though is you really have to have really good hands, meaning. You got to time them well, and you got to be quick with them, and you got to kind of be sly. You got to be able to, you know, throw, faint your hands, and try to draw the other guy's hands and counter them. It's a lot like being a boxer who has a reach disadvantage. You have to learn how do I get inside on this guy? How do I get inside? Well, the best way to get inside is to get him mistiming his his punch and his hands by by fainting early, and then learning how to counter and learning how to be well timed. And my problem with Skronsky is. I just, I just don't think he's going to be a tackle. I mean, they may let him fail inside, but I see him get hit down the middle with a long arm or even just a regular stab move, and they bounce him backwards. And that really concerns me because speed to power guys in the NFL are going to just keep hitting him with the same thing. But I also think he has Pro Bowl guard potential. I almost have no doubt. Um, really good run blocker, really technically sound, great hands, great placement. Drives from his insteps, wide base, great leverage, uses his hips, you know, keeps his hips under his hands. Every it's just like a coaching tape as a run blocker. So I understand that that coaches like to say, well, let's let him fail inside. But you know, the Cowboys didn't do that with Zach Martin. They just played him guard. Um I think Skronsky is a guard. I thought I thought Zach, I thought Slater, Rashawn Slater could stay at tackle. I really did. I thought it didn't show up on tape that that he was a short arm guy. Jonah Williams, that's another short-arm guy there. You could see every once in a while there were issues, but typically he got guys blocked. So I didn't worry about it. And he's a guy that I figure you can bump inside. And I think sooner than later they do need to consider bumping Jonah Williams inside at Cincinnati. But um, if you are going to be a short-arm guy, you must have exceptionally well-timed hands and you can't have wasted motion. I mean – you just your hands have to be direct. They have to be inside, and you have to learn how do I get there first and beat. And and one of the things you have to do is change up your pass sets. You know, jump set guys. At some point, sometimes you want to maybe go a little vertical, maybe alter your your angles. Um, you just you have to keep guys off balance a little bit. It's like it's like being a pitcher without a great fastball. You just have to learn to to work the plate, and 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 you have to placement. Hand placement is just as important in, in pitching as it is in, in offensive line play. All right, Lance, one more question. We're going to get you out of here. You've evaluated over 300 players for this cycle. Who, the, who's the guy that gets you the most fired up? Doesn't matter what day it is, day one, day two, day three. But the one guy you turned on the tape and you just kind of you feel the tingle a little bit. God, man, that's such a great question because I have that happen all the time and and – it really, it really can be a guy who is uh, like just a linebacker with phenomenal instincts. You just, you say, how in the world does he see this? You know, it, I, I tell you, let me give you a couple of them. I think, um, I think one of them would be Cedric Tillman, wide receiver from Tennessee. And here's why: everyone's really sleeping on Cedric Tillman now. He, this is a guy who had ankle surgery he had the tightrope surgery so he could make it back earlier uh this year to play with his teammates he got hurt i think in the third game of the year he played he wasn't 100 percent, 
And so, you know, I watched some of the tape. I watched before the injury. I watched the Georgia game a little bit. Um, I paid attention to it. Then I went back and watched 21. He put, he put like 352 yards on Bama and Georgia last year. He was catching everything. There was nobody who could guard him. He found ways to get deep. And I'm watching that 21 tape, and I'm like, man, how are people not not talking more about Cedric Tillman? Did they just not pay attention to what he was able to do against good teams? And so I think Cedric Tillman, he's a dog. He's really tough. He makes contested catches. He stacks you when he gets deep. He can beat you with ball skills. Um on jump balls when he gets down the field. I just, I think I, I was watching him like, man, this is, this is a good football player right here. This is a really good football player. I felt that way. Um, I mean, I, I, I gotta tell you another guy would be, um, Will McDonald from Iowa state. Will McDonald has a spin move that is so much like Dwight Freeney. It is scary. I put it on tape and sent it to a couple of teams. And I was like, this is ridiculous. He does the helicopter arms, like everything Dwight Freeney did. And Mike, it's funny, Mike Tomlin goes to all, Mike Tomlin's one of the only coaches who still goes to all the pro days and all the, you know, the, the, most of these coaches don't go to the senior bowl anymore. It used to be all of them did. Now, rarely do head coaches go. Mike Tomlin's there and he's on the field and he wants to get a feel for who you are. And he was like teasing around and, messing with Will McDonald a lot. And I could tell Mike liked him. I could tell he liked him as a, as a player. And, uh, and not that, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to draft him or anything like that. But Will McDonald, is a he's a little more narrow-hipped, and so he's not going to look the part. But he just plays really, really hard and has this incredible spin move that I think teams – or I think tackles are just really going to s- struggle with this. But the guy that got me the most excited of all of them was K- Kalijah Kansi. I mean – He's 280, and I guess that's too small, even though Ed Oliver was drafted ninth. But nobody could – they just – they couldn't really – he was just so disruptive. It was just complete chaos when he was in the game. Um, quick – he was a quick-wing guy with incredible twitch. He's undersized, but he has great leverage. He can sidestep you and do the little – he has the quick, subtle slide and slap where he gets to edges for quick wins very, very quickly. He understands a variety of ways to win as a pass rusher. He's going to take some, you know, when he gets centered up, he's going to take some bad losses in the run game. Not that he's not strong. He's just not, you know, he's just not big. But he is going to do a tremendous amount of damage in the NFL. I don't know how he's going to be used. I don't know if he's going to be rotational rundown guy and a full-time pass rush guy. But I'm just telling you, Guys who have this kind of heart, this kind of tenacity, and this kind of production, and they're this explosive and twitchy, they're going to they're going to have success in the NFL. We saw it with Aaron Donald. Um, Aaron Donald had rare, rare power to go along with it and leverage, but this kid has some of the same juice and explosiveness. And he was one of my he was one of the most fun players for me to watch. That's awesome. I, I'll tell you what, man, Pittsburgh, I think it's Charlie Partridge. He's still up there, defensive line coach. He does an incredible job up at Pittsburgh. Wance, I, I could do this with you all day, my man. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, great questions, man. I really enjoyed it. No, all right, man. Well, once we once we hop off of here, we'll definitely reconnect. That is Lance Zerline of NFL Media Draft Analysts. Like I said earlier, you can find his work on NFL.com, NFL Network, it's going to be a guy that you're going to see a lot of over the next couple months until we see the NFL draft. You can also follow him at Lance Zerline on Twitter. 
Guys, we appreciate you joining us as always. So for Lance Erline, my partner, Andrew Ivins, who's not here today, I'm Tagna, and we'll see you next week.